This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Hands on History with Heather. Hello and welcome to Hands on History. I'm your host, Heather Darcy. Some of you know me as the author of Anna, Duchess of Cleves, The King's Beloved Sister, and the forthcoming Children of the House of Cleves, Anna and Her Siblings. I'm very happy to present my segment of Hands-On History with Tudor's Dynasty to you, and I'm delighted to invite Jay Britton, also known for her Tudor songbook, who is a classically trained singer to the show. Welcome, Jay. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us, what kind of training have you had to get involved in the Tudor songbook or create the Tudor songbook? Well, in terms of my musical training, I trained as a singer. So I did my undergraduate degree at the Royal Academy of Music in London. And then I took a, a few years break. I was doing some teaching, teaching singing to, um, to children in some schools locally. And then I went back to do a master's at the Royal College of Music. So that's really where I got my training as a musician. In terms of history, that's all been private study. I've had a, an absolute obsession, a deep obsession with the Tudors since I was a child. I grew up in London. I grew up in Elton, actually. So just around the corner from Elton Palace, Henry, one of Henry VIII's childhood homes. And the history has very much been on my doorstep and something that I've loved from that early age. So, and I, I don't really know why it took me so long to join those two passions together and finally come up with something, but the penny just dropped. And it's not, not actually a year yet. The Tudor songbook is not quite a year old. Really? I'm still so, a baby, yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations. I've seen you everywhere. So what was your first venue that you sang at which you sang? Um the first recordings that I did were recorded in a really local venue to me called Hall Place, and that's in Bexley in, in Kent in the UK. And my first performance, um, full-length performance that I did was at a stunning Elizabethan property called Harvington Hall in Worcestershire, which is just an absolutely fascinating um fascinating historic house with boasts the most priest hides in in one place in the UK if you get a chance to visit it is wonderful so and that was a full length one what is what is full length so full length would be rather than just um roaming around a historic house and singing a couple of songs every now and again I actually presented a, a feature length concert so it was a concert in two halves and that was Christmas themed for those of us not from the UK, about how long does it take to get to West to uh, Harvington Hall from London? Um, it took. I, I was driving. It takes anywhere between two and a half and three hours. So, so basically across the country. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you said that you do a couple different performance styles. You either walk yeah. through and sing, or you mm. do a full performance. Could you tell us a bit more about what you do to prepare for a performance? Of course, yeah, and it really depends what each individual venue or if it's is it company, some um, private history tour companies like me to come and perform for them as well. And I can really offer anything that they would like us because it's not just me that does it as well. I've got um, some people that come along and perform with me. So I've got instrumentalists and a gentleman who comes to play Henry VIII in a non-musical capacity. Um, so if they would like us to do a full concert, we can, we'll be their daytime or evening depending on their requirements and that would be about two hours long how do you pick the songs you're going to perform if I've got a character in mind so one of my most popular programs at the moment is the Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn program I go to the music that we know that they would have had at the time the music that we know they were listening to the music that Henry VIII himself composed which I just think is brilliant to be able to to sing the words and the music written by the man himself. There's, there's just no better way of getting into somebody's head. 
And um, for Anne Boleyn, there's a, a manuscript as well that survives that was owned by her. I think it's known as the Anne Boleyn Music Book. And that's held uh, in the possession of the Royal College of Music in London, which is one of the places that I studied. And in that book, it's, it's kind of like a mixtape of her the songs that she liked from that time it's not music that she's written but it's music that she liked enough to have put into this collection so places like that are a really good source of, of knowing where to start and then once you've got an idea of which composers were providing the music for the courts I can then go off and I can look at other songs by those composers as well who are some of your favorite composers from the time oh I think it's Cernacy Cermacy has got to be just just absolutely stunning music. So he's a French composer. And I think my absolute favourite of all the Tudor songs at the moment to sing is one called Jouissance de Vous And it's in the Anne Boleyn music book. And it's tantalisingly accurate for the, the, the weight that Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII were going through before, they, um, before the King's Great Matter was resolved. And it's saying love's promises I'll give to you. And it ends with good things will come to those who wait. Oh, yes, that would be very fitting for them at the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and Henry VIII's music as well is actually, I mean, he, he's known for, I mean, he's known for his six wives, isn't he really? But there's so much more to this incredible man than his six marriages. And as well as being an, an incredible athlete, and a scholar he was a fantastic musician he performed his own music he also wrote his music he wrote masses he wrote consort music for instruments and he also wrote beautiful songs what are some pastime with good company i think is probably my favorite one of those because it just epitomizes henry the eighth for me that it's this kind of majestic energetic youthful and I think, to, uh, to be fair, I think it epitomises young Henry VIII when he was full of vitality and hope. Was there a particular moment that struck you such that it in- inspired you to start doing the Tudor song book? I, don't, I can't recall a, a one penny dropping moment, a big light bulb moment. But I do remember walking around places like, because I, I often visit places like the Tower of London and Hampton Court. And one of the things that I love, especially at Hampton Court, actually, is the immersive side of history. So when you go there into the kitchens, I, anyone who's listening who's, who's been to the kitchens at Hampton Court, they're often cooking meat over the fire. They're turning the spit. And you can smell the meat cooking. You can smell the smoke, the wood smoke from the fire. You can hear people. They've quite often got um, cooks in the kitchen actually hands-on doing stuff so you've you've got the sights the sounds the smells and that level of immersion and seeing the people in the costumes as well really does help you visualize what it would have been like to be there at the time and I just think there was a point where I was walking around thinking music really helps this as well because there's no better way of looking into the minds and like the mindsets of the people at the time than to look at what they were listening to and if we can hear that as well then we're literally experiencing those sounds how in the same way that they would have done I think that's kind of magic yeah it's almost like a time machine yeah and I'm sure now that I've I've been in the kitchens and for those of us who haven't been in the kitchens just to give a very broad brush stroke definitely Mm. look at images of it but it's the the room is absolutely massive it's like a hall it's extremely tall because keep in mind they didn't have proper chimneys at the time so the smoke needed somewhere to go I believe the second in 
American parlance, the second floor, the, the first floor in um, UK parlance, the mm. floor is gone, if I remember yeah. correctly, because I think they gutted it during the Victorian period and then it was refurbished. But you walk in there and it's probably the most vividly reproduced area in the castle because yeah. like Jay's saying, it they are cooking in there. You hear food sounds, you smell things, so on and so forth. So I feel like for anyone who's interested in really any type of history involving how things worked before we had electricity it is rather fascinating and the kitchens are a must visit part of Hampton Court Palace moving on yes (laughs) Um, just to give people an idea of why why it's so exciting there how do you prepare to get into character when you're performing as an historical figure rather than just as Jay I think one of the one of the really big turning points in when I'm preparing to to go on to a performance is putting on my costume because you it, it they change everything about you they change the way you're standing it's quite easy for me personally to kind of slouch in in my modern life but it is physically impossible to slouch when you have got that level of corsetry going on and the costumes are made in such a way they're historically accurate style garments so they're the, the type of garments that people would have been wearing at the time. So, for example, if I'm dressing as Anne Boleyn, I can imagine her having her dress pinned onto her in certain points and thinking about how my ribcage is then having to adjust to that level of restriction before I can then go and sing. And I think that's one thing that I've thought about when I've been performing this music is that actually people performing this who would have been wearing these kind of clothes would have had to take those extra breaths that I'm now taking. If I'm not wearing a corset, I I can sing a lovely long line. But I will have to accommodate the fact that I am wearing something that is really pulling my ribcage in and I will have to take a few extra breaths for that. Is that reflected in the metre of the songs? I'm not sure it is, especially. I think it's more the amount of of breaths that I would take within it but I try and place them as tastefully as I can do you practice wearing the corset at all I do sometimes yeah when I'm um if it's something that I've not sung in a corset before I will have a couple of goes singing in at least my kirtle so the 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 undergown which is laced at the sides the corset the corset laces are at the sides it's such a palaver to get the costumes on and off that I wouldn't be able to schedule it into my day to rehearse in the costumes all the time it's just I need another person to help me get dressed as well I can't do it on my own I think some absolute seasoned pros managed to do it but I can't do it what advice would you have for anyone who was interested in doing something similar to what you're doing so historic performances should we say I think probably the biggest key to it, because it does involve a lot of work, is really going for a period in history or a particular person that you are passionate about, because it's never going to completely overwhelm you that way. And especially with Anne Boleyn, who is, is my personal kind of obsession, I will never stop wanting to learn more about her. And the more you read, the more you then need to read. It's, it's a never ending, a never ending thing that I'm very much enjoying doing so I think it's finding somebody rather than trying to do everything focus in on one thing that you really like and then look at what they were doing at a particular time think about when they would be using music so we know that the the Tudors were using music as entertainment for their banquets we know that they used it during their worship and then go and look at the dates and look at the composers that were composing in those dates look at where 
the music would have been happening. So composers for the Chapel Royal and, and things like that. And you, and you can find there's, there's music out there and then learn the ones that your favourites first because it can really get you into it. It gets you into the style. And then the minute you start, it's like a little kind of Pandora's box. You open it, there's one thing there and then suddenly a whole load more music comes out and it, it's, it's never ending. It's lovely. It's brilliant. Has there been anything surprising or anything that's, um, I suppose, stricken you as quite interesting during this journey of you creating and becoming the Tudor Songbook? I think really the amount of music that there was. Because I, I remember thinking, oh, I could sing Green Sleeves, I guess. And I know Henry VIII wrote some music and there's the Anne Boleyn Songbook. But actually, that's just scratching the surface. And even for for someone who's who's used to listening to a lot of music and reading about a lot of music actually realizing the enormity of the, the amount of repertoire that's out there is just it's staggering you mentioned a couple occasions for which there would be music provided shall we say mm. did that surprise you that it happened that often not not really actually because it's the same as it is today when there's that 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 famous quote I don't know who it's from but if you want to improve something you add music to it and that's we've been doing that for events as as since since time began since we were making noises at each other you use that music as expression and you add things celebrating if you're mourning when when there's music at, at, at funerals in in the chapel royal they would have music for that as well. They use music to celebrate. They have music to dance to. So not just to eat and listen to, they then dance. And it was, a, it was also a courtly virtue for people to learn musical instruments. Henry VIII being an incredibly gifted musician himself. Anne Boleyn, again, was known as a gifted musician. And, and I think she was described as having a voice like a siren which I always think is quite an ambiguous one. I don't know if it was meant in that way, luring, because of course the siren is the the mermaid luring the, the men to their deaths. Maybe they meant both. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, think, I just yeah. think, yeah, yeah. Depending on the writer, because I would, yeah, I, I bet you they I think it might have been the Venetian, the Venetian ambassador. I think it was the Venetian mm. ambassador that might have said that. But then it was also, it was a complimentary um, description of her voice, because I think it, she was described as being a, a singing that would bring, that would make bears and wolves listen or something. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's just, it's wonderful. But just to think that she had that gift of being able to communicate music through her own voice. To them, for me to be able to do that myself as well, just feels like an incredible privilege. Absolutely. I don't think I've really heard that about Anne Boleyn before but that's an interesting aspect of her mm. of her character and I think personifies her or brings her mm. fleshes her out a bit more for those of us exactly who and um and it was one of the things that Henry VIII loved about Anne Boleyn it was that she had this exoticness about her from her time in the French courts and, and the Austrian courts she was very she had this confidence and a little of what do they say je ne sais quoi that that the the ladies currently in the English court didn't have and maybe there was part of her performing. I like to think that there was a part of her performing and maybe it was something in her voice as well that he just loved that. Who knows? Is Tudor's songbook the only work that you do? No, it's not. Um, I've been working as a professional singer now since I was, um, since I was 18. So long, long time. Um, I think for, and for the past 19 years, I think it is now, I've, I've had 
another really big passion of mine is singing for funerals. And it's, it's how I met my husband, in fact, as I was a funeral director. And I think this comes back as well to how people use music. You use it to add something to an occasion. You know, we have music at our weddings. We also have music at funerals. And for something like a funeral, when a family selects a piece of music, that means the world to them. They love that song because Nan loved that song or Dad loved that song. And then to have that performed live, that is a unique experience just for them on that day for that person who's passed away and it can really I mean I would say this but I think it can elevate an occasion it can it can take it it's always going to be sad of course it is but it can add something that's a little bit special and a really and a special and a nice memory of a sad occasion that's really lovely that you do that that's out that's amazing it is it sounds it sounds funny to say I love singing at funerals but I do it is it is a it's a privilege to be able to do that as well for people. How do we find your music or your performances? So at the moment, I've, I've got lots of recordings on um, on social media and on YouTube. So you can find me on um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube as the Tudor Songbook. And all of my, my videos are available on there. And I will be coming up towards the end of this year I'll be making some more videos as well and and that's going to be more Elizabethan Tudor music so that's going to be songs of John Dowland accompanied by the lute and they are just absolutely gorgeous songs they're so wonderful they really really are special I'm really looking forward to get some some of those out there yeah well thank you so much for stopping by today and talking to me for uh, hands-on history and a little bit more about what you do Um, and we'll definitely put links to your social media in our thumbnail thing that that would be lovely thank you it's been an absolute pleasure and again everyone this is heather darcy from tudor's dynasty with our segment hands on history where we talk to people who interact with history in a different way than what you might think thank you so much thanks for listening to this episode of the tudor's dynasty podcast you can follow and support the tudor's dynasty podcast on facebook twitter instagram and patreon at tudor's dynasty